to the Prophecy Club. Well, I'm going to be at the Crusade August 29 through August 6, so obviously I can't be out making radio programs. So I did this radio program in advance as a guest on another radio program, so I'm going to cut this up into several programs and play this for you while I am at the Crusade. And it's talking about my new book, How Pre-Trib Won, and the subtitle is How the Lie Beat the Truth and the people would have it so. How pre-trib one. How the lie beat the truth, and the people would have it so. Now I'm going to go ahead and go to me being interviewed in this radio program. The first 60 seconds of the audio is not so good, but then after that, the rest of it is good. Let me just ask you a couple of questions. What would you say is the biggest, I'm going to give you three possibilities here, Three, the biggest question in Christianity. Would you say it is once saved, always saved? Or would you say it is talking about the rapture, whether it's pre-mid or post? Or would you say it is speaking in tongues or not speaking in tongues? What would you say is the biggest question Christians have? Wow. Those are three great possibilities. I hear people talking about them all, but I would say probably uh, the rapture. Yes, sir. What we're doing. So that's what I did. Now... It's not my intention, so I'm going to start right up front with an apology. It's not my intention to annoy pastors or church leaders to create problems for you, but I'm going to apologize in advance because that's probably exactly what I'm about to do. In case you question whether God would tell someone to write a book like I'm about to explain, I'm going to play for you a prophecy. And it was given to Leslie and I. This specific part is to me, August 7th of 2019. I hear God saying, there's, yes, many material and things that you've brought out and that you will bring out in the future. But I, there is one book, one specific book, one more. And in the spirit, I sense that God is saying, this book is, is, will be your last assignment when it comes to books, book writing, this book. And I see God is asking one, one thing more of you. Now, <laughs> if you think things that you've done or things that you've written have brought persecution. This book. <laughs> and I mean, you're not looking for it. It's not your intention to try to find it. But I hear this one book, and it's going to bring, because this book is not directed toward, towards the world or sinners. It's towards the church. It's speaking to the church. And it's confronting the church uh, on many areas where for years... They know that they've been weak and they know that they've missed it. But it's confronting the church. It's strengthening the church. It's not for the world. The church have written, many people have written books towards the world. But I see that this last book, this last assignment is directed to the church, to the local church. We're speaking to them about standing up and being raised. Now, how the lie beat the truth and the people would have it so. So let me briefly explain the book is basically divided into four chunks. The first chunk is the part that I'm about to cover, and that is answering the big question. That is the question that I don't think anybody has ever answered before, and that is, how is it that the pre-trib won? How did the pre-trib beat the post-trib? How did the lie beat the truth and the people would have it so? The next quarter of the book is answering the foundational points, specifically the secret door, because the church and the pastors didn't have one key 
that secret door, because they didn't have that, they couldn't put it together. So a lot of the reason that the pre-trib exists is because they God had not given them the secret door so that they could put it together yet. So the next part is setting the foundations. And then the, the third quadrant is talking about and showing the scriptures, proving that the actual truth is post-trib. In other words, there is no pre-trib, mid-trib, or pre-wrath rapture. No one is getting sucked into the air to avoid anything. Now, it's not saying that God's not going to protect us. He is going to protect us. Matter of fact, he's promised that he will not put us through anything that we cannot be successful at. Where with that, he will also make a way of escape, meaning he is not going to stick us into something just to watch us fail. He's not going to do that. So whatever we find ourselves in, he knows that we have the strength to endure that, to go through that, or we would not be there. Okay, now, the final quadrant is explaining 25 different questions about pre-trib. In other words, pre-trib says, for this, and this is the reason it's pre-trib. For this, and this is the reason it's pre-trib. So I go through about 25 of those questions. So I know the more exciting part would be for me to go through and explain why the rapture is not pre-trib. But truth is, you probably heard that a whole lot. And so I think more important than that tonight, the first thing I want to answer is how pre-trib won. I'm about to explain some things that probably you have never heard before. Things that are wrong in the church, foundational things that the pastor doesn't talk about, the board members don't talk about, the pastor or the board members don't want you to know, and that's the reason pre-trib won. Probably the best worded part of this is actually from the book. So I'm actually going to be kind of skimming through the book to make certain that I don't leave any of these parts out. So I'm opening my book. And again, you'll be able to get it at prophecyclub.com. How pre-trib one, prophecyclub.com. Okay, chapter one. If you're not a pastor or you do not care to know how pre-trib beat post-trib, uh, then you can just skip the entire uh, first three chapters and just go ahead and go to chapter four. But I think most people, that's going to be a major part. They're going to want to know, how is it that the lie beat the truth and the people would have it so? How is it that the lie beat out the truth and the people wanted it that way? So I'll start with, I understand and I start, this is the letter to the pastors. I understand how it is easy to discover pre-trib. When I first started studying Bible prophecy back in like 1984, I did the most logical thing that anybody would do. Well, I went to the Christian bookstore. I picked up a couple of books on Bible prophecy. Now, what I didn't understand in those days was that all, <laughs> all of the books in the bookstores were all pre-trib. I didn't understand that at the time, so I picked up several. They were all pre-trib, and that's what I learned, and that's what I believed. And then years later, 1987, I was teaching a class at our local church on Bible prophecy. started out with three or four people, but it wasn't too many weeks until it got up to about 23, 25 people. And one day, one of those students came up and says, you do realize that there are other points of view other than pre-trib. Well, being such a smart guy that I was, not. <laughs> I quickly dismissed it because I, of course, knew better. 
because I had read several books on Bible prophecy. Yeah, yeah well, it wasn't until 1999 uh, that I discovered, actually, there are some other points of view, and the point of view that I had learned was wrong. So I understand how someone can see pre-trib. I understand it. I really do. I understand because pre-trib, uh, I was pre-trib for a long time. Now, let me explain what happened that began to turn me around. So 4.30 of 2020, I received the email below. And in the process of answering the email, all of a sudden it jumped into my heart what the real problem was. And that from that is what sprang this book. The email says, Mr. Johnson, are you a believer of the rapture of the church before the tribulation stated in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 54, question mark. Well, this was part of my email answer. The pastor cannot offend. They cannot hurt feelings. It is not in them. To ask a pastor to see post-trib is asking against, is going against all he stands for. He hurts when the sheep hurt. The pastor brings encouragement. A pastor will lay across the threshold, keeping his sheep. He will give his life for his sheep. Asking a pastor to see post-trib is like asking him not to preach the gospel. It is like asking the sea not to be salty. It is never going to happen. But as I begin to write that, I begin to see there's more to this issue. There are more reasons behind pastors choosing pre-trib. And then all of a sudden the Lord began to like download and give me a revelation that this was the revelation that brought the book. It occurred to me that simply showing more superior verses and convincing church leadership of post-trib rapture would never work. Why did I say that? Because I participated in a three-hour live debate where I took post-trib and the other guy took pre-trib. Now, I personally believe that I did a better job, and apparently a lot of the people thought that that was true too. But I've already tried that sword-matching thing where uh, this guy throws this verse, and then I throw that verse. This guy throws this verse, and I throw, th throw that verse. So I've already been down that road, and that doesn't really work. So I begin to ask myself, why? Okay, let's get to the bottom of this. Why? I begin to beg God, why? Why can't pastors see what to me was obvious? <laughs> obvious in the Scriptures to me. I can and have proven the Scriptures of the heir of pre-trib. So why don't the pastors see it? And that, my brothers and sisters, is the very big question. Why can't they see it? They can't see it. I begin to see that there are some very big and very real reasons why they not only cannot, but they will not ever, ever see post-trib. They lack the secret door to help them find it. That's part of the truth. Now, back to my letter to the pastors. And again, this is a sincere letter. I sincerely mean every word of it because I'm not trying to bring trouble to my brothers and sisters that are pastors and church leaders. I'm not. I understand. So back to the letter. I understand many church boards have guidelines or a list of, quote, accepted or, quote, unaccepted topics. I understand that some denominations send out a statement of beliefs every year. Their pastors and church leaders are required to sign it in order to keep their jobs. I understand that one of the requirements on that sheet is that they agree and believe in a pre-trib rapture. I can certainly see that the pastors are not exactly free to choose. You are not free to simply 
read, interpret, and preach the Bible as you see it. I understand that. I understand you've gone to a certain denomination's Bible college. You've been ordained by them. Not signing that statement of beliefs means that you lose your job, and probably you will not find another one in the ministry because most denominations will not hire people that are not part of their denomination. means you're not only out of work, but you're not going to get more work. And you are an outcast. Many denominations require a person to believe as they do in order to work within their denomination. To tell you the truth, if I hit a denomination, I would require that too. So I understand that. I can also see where switching denominations could be not only very difficult, but almost impossible, especially when the pastor has a family, bills, a mortgage. Look, you cannot just put your family at risk over some small doctrinal issue. Not believing, as the denomination requires, could bring real hardship on your family. I understand that. I also understand when some little girl comes up with tears running down her face or some dear, sweet little old lady. I've had it happen. Come up. I've put my arms around them. I try to console them. Tears running down their eyes. I've had a little girl shaken to death, literally shaken to death. She couldn't sleep at night afraid because the tribulation was going to come. She was going to have to go through the tribulation. I understand. And it's very easy when those tears from people you love running down their cheeks. I understand. It's very difficult. It's so easy to simply say, oh, you you don't have to worry about all that. Jesus is going to come in the clouds and he's going to suck you up off the ground and you're not going to have to go through all that. I understand that. It's so easy. I mean, A pre-trib rapture solves so many things. It is so easy to simply tell them they don't have to worry about those scary things. They'll never see them. I understand. I also understand when you paint the walls, decorate, hang pictures, and you get the church all ready for people to come in, for visitors to come in. A visitor comes in, and they don't come back. I understand how it crushes your heart also understand even worse when they don't even sit through the entire sermon. I've had that happen too. It crushes you. We pastors work and we pray too hard to say anything that might run people off. Not only is it painful, but it is against our call to build the kingdom of God. It is against everything we stand for. We do not want to see anybody leave. We want to see everybody come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I understand that. I also understand that we pastors, I did not go to Bible college, but most of them do. I understand they went to Bible college. They had some very, very scholarly men and women of God that loved them, that taught them, that they fell in love with, they respected, they looked up to, and they taught them the doctrinal points of that denomination. And that doctrinal point, one of them was, that's right, you guessed it, pre-trib. And, of course, being a young man or woman going off to a Bible college, and you're looking up to these well-meaning, well-studied professors that tell you it's pre-trib, why, you would never argue with them. I understand. I understand how you can become pre-trib. I understand also your husband, your wife, all of your friends, all of your believers, all of your friends are all pre-trib, and you'd lose them all, all if you were to see it differently. You see, the cost to look at any other doctrine, is just too high. The switch is death to all you are, to all you believe, your career, your ministry. It's, it would all be over. 
You would not just lose your job, ministry, house, friends. You would lose your life. I certainly can see why avoiding the issue is so easy. I can also understand in most cases your organization is not legally a church. What? No, no, no. no. Let me explain. You see, legally, in a court of law, most churches in America are not legally churches. What are you talking about? Well, actually, they're 501c3s. Now, let me explain how that happened. Now, north you say explain, but down south we say explain. So let me explain how that happened. Back in 1945, a gentleman by the name of Lyndon Baines Johnson was running for a political office. Later, he became president. But he was running for a political office, and a pastor was running against him. And he managed to sneak into uh, one of the bills going through what is called the Johnson Amendment. And it says that if you are a 501c3, that you cannot speak out against public issues. You have to have a board member. You have to have monthly meetings, and you have to keep minutes, and that that board is in charge of the 501c3. It's supposed to be for things like, oh, you know, uh, beauty pageants or uh, homeless shelters and things like that. It's really not supposed to be for churches, but they talked the churches into coming into the 501c3. This lowered the church that used to be on equal footing with the state. Now it lowered the church down underneath the state, so the church is now subject to the state. That's the reason a church can't speak out and say, don't vote Democrat, don't vote for Biden. They can't say that. But you see, our church is not a 501c3. We are a church. So we're not required to keep our mouth shut like that. Okay, so... There's some other problems with a 501c3. Most of the churches are a 501c3. Stan, how do I know if my church is a 501c3? Well, real easy. You don't even have to ask them for their legal documents. Just ask your church if they have a board. If the pastor says yes, that means they're a 501c3. Because if you come into my church and say, do we have a board? I look at you very funny, and I say, no, I'm the apostle. My wife is the prophet, and we're in charge. That's the way it's supposed to be according to the Word of God. All right, now, let's skip on down a little bit. When I was about 30 years old, I visited a church that I grew up in. My mom had told me that I was one of the founding members, even signed the document starting the church, I understand. But as I learned later in life, it was actually not a church. It was actually a 501c3. Here's how I discovered that to the first part. One Sunday... When I was visiting the church, now I had grown up to be, oh, I don't know, 30, 35 years old. And I visited the church on a Sunday morning. There was a 19 to 21-year-old young man, looked fresh out of Bible college. And he did a good job, I thought, teaching Sunday school. And I was headed up to shake his hand and tell him what a good job he did. But about that time, one of the board members stepped right in front of me. I remember his name was Hawk. I wonder why they called him that. Now I know. Stepped in front of me and was correcting the young man fresh out of Bible college and telling what he did and what he should not say and what he should say. You see, it was a board member. A board member was correcting the man of God. So that means a layman that did not go to Bible college, was not called to be in the ministry, was correcting the called out one. That's out of order. I didn't understand that then. I also understand in many cases these board members covenanted together to get a loan for the church building or perhaps upgrades to the property. The bank required collateral, and in some cases, those board members put up 
yeah, personal guarantees. Yeah. <laughs> Not just guarantees, but they even put up personal property, even guaranteed the loan. In other words, that church don't make the loan. That board member might lose a house or a car or some other property. See, I understand because in a church, the man of God is called of God and directed by God to preach his word. God hires him, God fires him, tells him or her what to do. The man of God is dead set on building the kingdom of God no matter what the cost. His truth is his shield and buckler. He wants to build a church on the solid rock of Christ. He he has high hopes and goals, but then they go off to Bible college. And he, he does not start his own church when he comes out of Bible college. Often he's hired. Well, he's hired by, well, he's hired not by a church. He's hired by 501c3. It doesn't take long before those high lofty goals to preach the word of God begin to get dashed on the rocks of the board members of the 501c3 who hire him, fire him, and tell him and her, her what they will and what they will not believe and what they will and will not preach. Now, not always. I mean, often these board members are really good people, and they're called to do what they do. I understand. You see, in a 501c3, board members, well, the board member's in charge. In a 501c3, board members hire and fire the pastor's Board members, not church leaders, negotiate their salary. Some of those board members have put up personal property, guaranteeing the loan of the building. Sometimes, well, sometimes they get more interested in seeing the seats filled and the offering plates filled than 100% truth being taught. Sometimes they're more interested in seeing that that monthly payment is made, that their name is guaranteeing than they do filling the kingdom of God. They do not want to put their personal finances in jeopardy over some young buck running off the donors. Not always, but in some cases. Again, not always. Often they're lovers of the Lord and his kingdom and only want the best for the kingdom. I stress that. Not always. Many of the board members are very good people, but there are cases. I understand the board members are not called of God to a full-time position to preach, but many are called to serve in that administrative role. I understand that. I understand how board members feel. That how they feel like they have the authority and to fire and to tell the man of, or woman of God what he or she is to preach or not to preach. In the man-created 501c3, they do. But you see, the Bible does not direct his church to be a 501c3, to have an agreement with the government. His church is not supposed to be a 501c3 board member over the servants of God to serve, well, not the way God planned it. That is not to say advice is not warranted, needed, and appreciated when those who are called to the fivefold offices cannot do what God has called them to do. Well, something's bad wrong. So I understand how the 51C3 is really a government corporation, not a church. 51C3 is often started, maintained by a group of businessmen, women, men who are concerned, are more concerned about the success of the corporation than building the kingdom of God. I understand that. Now, I understand. And I also understand to the pastor, you're not exactly free to preach the word of God as your conscience and the Holy Spirit leads you. I understand. Now let's go to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is, will the congregation understand? You see, I understand, pastors, you may have many very good reasons for your position on the rapture. I understand, but the congregation members, will they understand? See, because at some point the people will finally wake up. They're going to finally discover themselves in the tribulation. At some point, it will be obvious that even to the most pre-trib person, that the pre-trib rapture 
shit already happened. Jesus should have already come and got them. Yet, all the Christians, all of their friends, are still on earth. It may happen on their own, but when their godless friends come around making fun of them, sticking fingers in their face, mocking them and laughing because no one left in the air. Trouble has arrived. The Christians are in just as much trouble as the sinners. And just like Second Peter 3, 3 says, knowing this first, that there will come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since our fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. What happened to your, your pre-trib rapture? What happened to your little Jesus that was supposed to come and get you in the air? Well, I thought you were supposed to miss all this. What happened to you? And they get mad. They get mad. Look, I understand. But will the congregation members understand when their wives and their children have no food? It is, it's one thing when a small statured man is angry. That's one thing. But it's another thing when a large rancher or farmer <laughs> looking like a mountain is banging on your front door, towering over you, and he's wanting answered. I heard you knew. I heard you knew that the pre-trib was a lie. Why did you stand there Sunday and Sunday after Sunday promising us? I'm going to interrupt the broadcast right there. My new book, How Pre-Trib Won, is divided into four quadrants. First of all, it answers the question, How Pre-Trib Won. The next quadrant sets the foundations that you'll need to understand the truth about the rapture. The third segment is explaining the post-trib rapture. And the fourth section is 25 pre-trib questions answered. I believe it's going to be the definitive book that is going to finally answer the question about the rapture. Is it pre, mid, or post? It's called How Pre-Trib Won, How the Lie Beat the Truth, and the People Would Have It So. 1 for 20, 10 for 30, 20 for 40 at prophecyclub.com. It's a quick read that will finally answer your questions about the rapture. How Pre-Trib Won, 1 for 20, 10 for 30, 20 for 40 at prophecyclub.com. CornerstoneAssetMetals.com is owned by a prophecy student who reads his King James Bible and supports Prophecy Club. Call CornerstoneAssetMetals.com for gold, silver, palladium, rhodium bars, or coins that can help you roll over your IRA, 401k. So tell CornerstoneAssetMetals.com Prophecy Club sent you. Most people agree that the book of Daniel is the most difficult book in the Bible to understand. Tribulation Secrets in Daniel explains the parts of Daniel that us tribulation saints are going to need to know. It exposes the plans of the Antichrist, how to spot the Antichrist, his physical appearance, the sound of his voice, how he rises to power and takes over the world. One for 20, but don't do that. We offer him in shrink wrap sets of 10. 10 for 30, 20 for 40 at prophecyclub.com. Tribulation Secrets in Daniel, 1 for 20, 10 for 30, 20 for 40 at prophecyclub.com. When a nuclear device is detonated, the wind blows the dust settling on everything around you. Then you breathe, eat, or absorb radioactive iodine, which then kills your thyroid and kills you. A simple fix is to immediately take potassium iodate pills, which flood your thyroid with good iodine, keeping the radioactive iodine out. You need one bottle per person per exposure for everyone from infant to adult. Ten bottles available for a gift of $225 or $25 per bottle at prophecyclub.com. Shelf life from five to eight years, potentially more if you refrigerate or freeze it. That's prophecyclub.com potassium iodate pills. In 2017, I memorized the book of Revelation. I was shown a secret door linking the feasts to the prophecies of Revelation. 
For the first time, the book of Revelation can be put in correct chronological order. You can understand Bible prophecy. 1 for 20, 5 for 30, 10 for 55. What is the most important information to every beating heart on the globe? After except Jesus, it would be, don't take the mark of the beast. Those taking the mark of the beast do not get soul death, but are tormented in the lake of fire and brimstone for eternity. How do you tell them? Give them, miss the mark. 1 for 20, 10 for 30, 20 for 40. Over the past 32 years, I've collected the best 101 prophecies from Demetri Dudeman, Michael Boldea, Leslie Johnson, Henry Gruber, Shane Warren, Terry Bennett, Marie Sklar, Augusto Perez, Doug Metzger, and more. It's called God's Warnings for America. 1 for 20, 5 for 30, 10 for 55. 1 for 20, 10 for 30, 20 for 40 at prophecyclub.com. Prophecyclub.com. Each single Prophecy Club DVD is a gift of $30. In that you know the Internet is going away one day, it is a good idea to actually have the disc. However, at WatchProphecyClub.com, you can have instant access to over 200 titles on a recurring monthly subscription of $20 or yearly for $200 at WatchProphecyClub.com. That's $6,000 worth of information at WatchProphecyClub.com. That's WatchProphecyClub.com. What a deal. Click like, share, and subscribe.